Putting, 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 kings, kings, kings online, online, online. Putting Kings Online, a podcast exploring the process of designing online learning courses from the team which creates them. I'm your host, Rachel Wall, and in each episode of Putting Kings Online, I'll be talking to my colleagues about their roles here at King's College London within the online and professional executive education team. We'll be delving into the processes of creating online courses, from ideation to delivery, inclusive design, accessibility, and where we stand in the wider online learning community. So yeah, actually I was just telling Carl that I was somewhat nervous about this episode because I, I want to get it right and it scares me because it's such an important topic. <laughs> well, I think with something like this, it's like all we, all we can do is really chat about it as much as we can because for sure we're going to leave stuff out. And we might not, like, after the recording ends, like, all three of us might go and be like, oh, damn, I wish I'd said that. Yeah. But the fact that we're doing an episode like this in the first place is, I think, what's most important. Diversity and inclusion are fast becoming two words that we're starting to hear mentioned a lot. By no stretch of the imagination are they a brand new idea or approach to how we should be treating others. But sadly, 2020 was the year that highlighted just how much we need to invest more time and energy into diverse and inclusive practices in all areas of our lives. Against the backdrop of a global pandemic, the Black Lives Matter movement was a huge defining moment in the US after the most publicly unlawful killings of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. And a lot of the conversation in this episode stems from the global outrage sparked in America at the start of the pandemic. And as a result, the ripple effect this had on how we as a team have come to think about our own approaches to diversity and inclusion, both internally and how we carry those ideas through to the online courses we design for our students. Joining me in this episode are Toral, one of our e-learning visual designers, and Gayatri, who is our research and engagement officer. And together, they are both D&I champions within our team at OPE. Now, this episode is just the beginning of opening up these conversations, of sharing our experiences and acknowledging that there is always more that we can be doing. So with that in mind, we'll be sharing some links to resources that we as a team have found insightful. These will be posted on our webpage. Toral and Gertrude, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Rachel. Thanks for having us. Hi, Rachel. Thank you for having us here. I'm really happy to be here. I guess just to kick us off today, can you describe what diversity and inclusion is and what was sort of the driving force that sort of prompted our team to invest a bit more time and resources into it? Well, I think Toral, you shared a really good quote that illustrated what diversity and inclusion is. I came across this really amazing quote by somebody called Werner Myers, who I believe is a senior DNI person in Netflix. And she said, diversity is being invited to the party. Inclusion is being asked to dance. And I don't think I've ever seen those two things put together so cohesively and kind of got me thinking about how in various workplaces, and certainly especially when you're in London, that you will see a lot of diverse workplaces. But I think the question is if they're inclusive. The reason OPE took a look at ourselves and our work culture in terms of looking at it through the diversity inclusion lens was 
because we had an executive director who was showing, in my opinion, some quite extraordinary leadership by, first of all, acknowledging that there was a trend in recent appointments that fit a certain demographic over others and acknowledging that there might be a problem. And then what she did was she opened up the conversation to everybody. So it wasn't a case of somebody from the very top setting an agenda and then getting other leaders and other managers to take that policy forward. I think it was about actually just getting everyone involved, asking for volunteers, asking for people who are passionate about it. And I think that's really what started the conversations around diversity and inclusion in OP. And I think one of the, the next steps was to create a committee that can look into all these kinds of trends and anything else that we could look at in terms of diversity and inclusion to create a more diverse and a more inclusive workplace. I really like that quote that you mentioned at the beginning about the idea of kind of being invited and then being asked to participate. I think it's such an important distinction to be made. And just thinking a bit about sort of the timeline of how our team started looking into this a bit more, I think it's really important to mention the fact that a lot of these conversations started around the earlier points in, in lockdown when the Black Lives Matter movement in America really started to take shape after the killings of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. And I guess I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on how sort of like world events like that have really shaped the conversations that we're having around diversity and inclusion now. In my opinion, I don't think there's enough credit given to the Black Lives Matters movement for the conversations around diversity and inclusion that are happening all around the world today. The unfortunate, tragic killings of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor were, I think, eye-opening for many people. I mean, it's not the first set of police killings that we've seen in America against people of colour, especially black people of colour. But I think this time was maybe slightly different. Maybe it was a result of years of activism Or maybe it was because we were in the middle of a pandemic and a lot of us couldn't go outside. And then we were stuck with the few bits of news that we actually had. And so maybe that is very cynical of me. But I think that maybe the COVID pandemic and lockdown and all of those factors came in together for us to actually care this time. And once we started caring, I think I think people of colour, such as myself, I think we started thinking a lot more about about what it was like to be a person of colour in the world today, especially when you're in a country that is majority white. And I think I think it was really important to start examining all the factors that make you who you are when you are in a situation that isn't quite inclusive. I mean, you can say that the United Kingdom is extremely diverse, but you can't say it's inclusive. You know, related to what Toro is saying, I think we're all aware that this has been happening for a very long time now. Since I think 2014, 2013, 2014 is when the Black Lives Matter movement first started gaining momentum. And it's just taken so much unnecessary violence and terror and murder to get to the point that we did in the summer. But the reason for that is that, you know, you have this backdrop of a global pandemic. And at that point, everyone's on social media a lot more. You're pretty much always at a screen. So that kind of human nature response that lots of people have where they're faced with something like this, where it's not directly affecting you, you feel horrible about it, you really want to do something. 
and you kind of start getting into this activism and then your brain kind of distracts you after a while, maybe after a couple months of this, which is entirely unfair to the activists who have been working at this since, you know, even before 2013, 2014. But this time people couldn't look away and they had to watch all of this happening, all these videos of police brutality. And the fact that within the pandemic itself, you can see the difference in the lived experience, you know, of people of color. So Black and Latinx communities were disproportionately affected by the pandemic. And they make up a lot of the key worker population as well. And then we're all aware of what's been going on in US politics over the years. So we've had this administration that has divided the country really harshly and has not only allowed this hate and intolerance to spread, but seems to actually have celebrated it at times. And with all of this, the pandemic, the Trump administration becoming what it is, and the police brutality, it all came together. It seems like at the same time, and people responded to it a lot more because of that, I think. So I remember when Trump first came into power in 2016, and there were lots of people here who didn't understand why I was so upset and why I felt so sick about it. And I was told, well, you don't live there anyways. You live here now in the UK. So what's the big deal? It's just some guy. He's just president for four years. It's okay. But then this election that happened in November, it seems like a lot more people now understand why it is such a big deal. And, you know, US politics in the UK and the UK politics has shifted from this like, wow, it's like this crazy reality show. Let's grab some popcorn. So this is crazy that this is reality for so many people. And just the population, I think, has understood how much damage has been done, which going back to what the university and Anna did, recognize that and then started the DNI initiative within OP. I, I would also add, especially with what's been happening, I mean, right as we speak, there is a second impeachment vote going on for President Trump for inciting violence in the Capitol building last week. And what's surprising is that this time around, more people are seeming to censor him and to actually hold him accountable. I mean, it's a kind of a sad state of affairs when Twitter banning him from a social media platform is basically the almost sole accountability that he's had for all the horrible things that he's a part of and he's incited. So I think a large part of why we started the DNI as well was, I think, as people of colour actually saw that other people actually started caring about it. It's so important, I think, what you said about people finally taking notice and finally paying attention. And I think what's really struck me is how much I can feel that sense of injustice in, in everything that you both said so far. And and it is incredibly sad when you think that it's taken a huge global pandemic to make the world slow down and for people to kind of have all the extra things in their life, the kind of background stuff in their lives stripped away that they're finally looking at the world that we currently live in and taking note of what's right and what's wrong about it. And I think in terms of injustice as well, the pandemic and, and diversity and inclusion in terms of what people do and don't have access to, the pandemic has also highlighted so much of that, especially in the teaching environments as well, in terms of um, accessibility to technology and healthcare and mental health as well, like helping people to kind of get through this. It's 
it's a really sad time to kind of highlight these injustices. But I guess bringing it back to education and how all of these conversations have started now, why do you think all of these conversations are even more important to be having now? And what can we be doing going forward to really promote more diverse and inclusive thinking and teaching, perhaps within our team and the wider college? why the focus now is due to the things that we said before, We've the entire world has now been put in a situation where they couldn't ignore it. And the fact that it's gained momentum in the way that it has, it's so important to hold on to that and keep that going. So in the past, like with Philando Castillo and other cases like that, where people were angry for so long, but then it stopped and everyone got distracted, that's not happening this time. And we need to take that into consideration and, and use it to make sure that we're addressing everything that we do, everything that we create, and understanding that there's probably a lot of unconscious bias there. We're probably not considering the differences in people, uh, the diversity of people, and fixing previous programs that we've done um, and continuing to create diverse content. So um, an example is when the pandemic started, the priority modules that our team, being kind of the pedagogical experts of online learning within King's, those modules we had to put together in barely any time at all. I think the entire team was working so hard to ensure that these, uh, however many modules, I think there's like 28, I'm not sure anymore, um, get them out in about an eight week turnaround. And we all, it, I think it's very impressive that all of us still considered DNI when we were creating these priority modules. So we created guidance for the faculties on how to still consider diversity and inclusion when choosing images, when choosing graphics, when creating examples and assessments for the students. So I think that's one way within the entire university that we could have helped have an impact there. I think KCL itself, um, I was part of a project to create a cultural competency module. Uh, so that's going to be cultural competency, you know, seeing through the lenses of various cultures, all the different people that you can learn from and learn with. That's going to be a massive project at King's. And there's also grants being awarded to people engaging with BLM and uh, forms of anti-Asian racism. That's uh, racism that's connected with the global pandemic as well. So I think we are moving in the right direction there. I think with terms of what we do, we're a university. We create online degrees for our students and our students are all over the world. I can't remember the statistics at the top of my head, but I do remember thinking that we are in every continent. There cannot be just one thing that connects everybody. It's important for people to, students especially, in a time when they're feeling more isolated than ever, to be able to, to come together when they're doing their online course and to see that their views, their histories, their experiences are represented in some capacity. This could be through, you know, the textbooks that they're having to read from, um, the examples or case studies that they've been given in their courses, down to how learning activities um, are designed, and, and certainly down to visual design, which Abby spoke about last week, and also, of course, um, language. I think it's probably worth mentioning as well. Um, in last week's episode, obviously, I spoke to uh, Abby, one of our e-learning visual designers, and she talked a lot about how the design team think inclusively and diversely about the type of images and visuals that we are using in our courses going forward. Gayatri, you used to be a instructional designer within our team. 
I was just wondering what the instructional design approach to diversity and inclusion has been, what those, what sorts of conversations would be happening in the instructional design teams about it? Sure. So I think one of the major aspects of instructional design is when you first receive the content from your module leader, you go through it and you see what's working, what could work to be put in an online format and what doesn't work and might need some input from the module lead and input from you as the ID to kind of mold it into something that does work that's accessible. And now that is diverse and inclusive. So it's our responsibility to look at this content and say, okay, there are lots and lots of examples here that the students can work through. That's good. But all these examples seem to be case studies focused very much on the UK or the US and they're very Western centric. However, we know from UX research and the demographic data that a lot of the students on this program aren't from the US and the UK. They want to receive an education from a major UK university, but they also want to be able to practice what they've learned within their own countries. Therefore, can we come up with some more examples that aren't so Western focused? And so we'll have that discussion in various workshops with uh, the module leads throughout the program as well as working with the visual designers to suggest images or graphics to them, which they then kind of come up with their own stuff and they make these beautiful, you know, diverse images. But it's kind of, it's very much a team effort to make sure that we don't keep doing maybe what we've done in the past, that we don't keep repeating the mistake of not challenging content that is so Western focused in this way. I think one of the things that has come from this summer is that a lot of the content that IDs have received are using stuff like the Black Lives Matter movement and the pandemic um, and responses all over the world as various case studies and examples and ensuring that students on programs know more about it, which I think is great. It's a great initiative coming from the academics that we're working with. There's also examples on the DNI Slack channel, actually, of IDs, visual designers and ELAs all posting questions about the content that they receive. So for example, it looks like in this part of the content, the module lead has referred to a certain group of people using a term that we no longer use anymore. How do we go about changing that and communicating it to them? Should we change it in the first place? Is it useful to have that term there so people learn more about that term and why we don't use it anymore? So as the ID, it's starting that conversation with the module leads and within your project teams themselves. And I think the diversity inclusivity Slack channel has been a really, really great place for those conversations to kind of continue to grow. Yeah, I think that's a really good point to mention actually about the Slack channel, because between you and Toral, I feel like sort of since we've started engaging a lot more in thinking about diversity and inclusion, it's a real testament to both of you, the amount of work that you've put in to really trying to understand where we're at with diversity and inclusion in our team, not only in the work that we're doing for our students, but also the work that we're doing just within our team alone. And the Slack channel has been a really important resource for things like that. And it's been really nice to see people sharing articles and images and just really kind of linking people to other conversations happening around the world, which is really nice. And I guess my next question really is, what sort of advice would you give to other people or other teams similar to ours, teams within the wider college about engaging with diversity and inclusion more? What sort of tips or advice would you give people? 
So we recently had a meeting with a head of a department who's also interested in creating a DNI committee with the people that they work with. And we had this similar conversation. And what Toral and I had told him was to, first of all, kind of have people championing DNI within your department. So the fact that we have a committee and that, you know, we have Toral and I as two leaders means that there are people who can focus on it and can share information, can start various initiatives with the committee, people who can make decisions and advise. And that kind of focuses the efforts a lot more. And the other big thing that we've done is the staff survey, which has proved to be, I think, incredibly important in understanding everyone that works within OPE, how we need to change and what we're doing really well at. And that gives you a really great jumping off point. So the survey itself included questions about how people felt about DNI, how people felt about the work that they were able to produce and their relationships with other members of staff and their managers, whether they felt safe, whether they felt like they've been harassed, if they know what to do, if they have been harassed. It covered quite a lot of issues of belonging and inclusivity, compensation, sometimes quite uncomfortable questions, but you need to ask those questions in order to understand what you're doing right and what you need to change as soon as you can. And once you have that data, uh, so Toral and I have now sat down with the senior leadership team who now know that there are some issues that we need to work on. And they've been able to come to terms with that and figure out a way to respond. So that I think now for the first time, everyone OPE knows that they can speak up because they are being listened to and things can and will change because of that. It's really important to instill that bit of confidence I think in members of staff in a department as soon as you can, because that's the way to start really making change. They'll be in more involved within DNI if they know that it'll matter once they speak up. My history is something that has compelled me so far to never really speak about how I felt about the role of race and gender and, and sexuality, etc. in a workplace. So I am, I guess I'm an immigrant, is how I would be probably referred to now, even though I had rights as a British citizen when I was born, but I was born in a different country, in an African country, actually. I'm of Indian descent. I'm a woman. I'm a person of colour. And when I moved to England, I, I kind of had to assimilate and, you know, just kind of integrate and, and never really talk about how I am actually different. And that's kind of carried through a lot um, into workplaces as well. And so, so I can understand how fellow colleagues would be reluctant to speak about any issues they might be facing or, or things they might want to be talking about that they feel they can't. So. I can understand that's a very scary place to put up your hand and to say, I have something to say. And quite frankly, I didn't say anything at OP until we had, you know, Anna, who is who was director of OP, who put that out there in order to understand how her colleagues were thinking about these issues. So really, I think in a workplace, I think it's more appropriate perhaps for, for people in leadership positions or people with authority and power to really enable others to speak up. I think that might be very much the key. And so because we were given that opportunity, we were able to work with so many things that Gayatri just talked about and we continue to do so much more and we want to keep doing more for our colleagues and to ensure that, you know, 
people who work or visit at OP feel welcome. So I guess the advice, again, for the departments would be that it is possible for change and we can certainly offer our experience and our methods to anything that they might want to do for themselves. But it is very important to, again, acknowledge when things might not be always perfect. And it's important for people in positions of power to acknowledge when things do need to change. Yeah, I guess in the context of everything that's happened in the world, I mean, when we were talking about this episode, uh, the three of us were sort of like furiously typing away at a Google Doc thinking about all the things that have happened in terms of diversity and inclusion, both positive and negative in the world. And I think there's some really positive things that have come out about it. And I just wondered if we could talk a little bit about the importance of focusing on some of the good stuff, such as just off the top of my head, like Scotland making period products free is really good. And there's been a lot more conversations around women's rights and changing laws around abortions and what at what stage of a pregnancy a woman can get an abortion and making that legal. I just wondered if you guys had anything that you wanted to kind of talk about in terms of focusing on some of the positive things that have come out of these conversations. I did hear about the Scotland news and it was still astounding to me to see that it was still the first country in the entire world to do that, which is mind blowing. And I think that's how I feel constantly about most things that happen DNI wise. But in terms of positives, I think, again, looking to the US, um, just because of, you know, what is happening this today with this very moment, you have the Supreme Court in the United States further restricting abortion rights for women. But at the same time, you're going to have a new administration, you know, the first time ever there's going to be a native person in the cabinet. I mean, it's extraordinary. You have record numbers of people of colour and women and people from LGBTQ communities also joining lawmakers all around the world and in record numbers. And it's, it's quite inspiring to see. You also have record number of companies, corporations and companies with a lot of influence and power. They're also acknowledging mistakes that have been made. And maybe we don't, I think as a, as a society, I think we're quite cynical and we never really believe that these changes are true or, or real. But you can still see the lasting effects that these kind of um, companies have when they do, in fact, take action against somebody who's spreading hate speech and inciting violence against lawmakers and people of colour and etc. So I think there's a lot of positives that can be taken. Of course, not also excluding just the tremendous amount of work the Black Lives Matters protesters have done all around the world and the UK. Um, the incredible positive things I saw were, you know, taking down the statues of um colonialists and former slavers all around the UK um, and, and you know I think I can't remember which city it was was it Bristol or Birmingham where they replaced it with um, a statue of a little girl I mean for me personally I thought that was incredible and inspiring and they should have just made that change permanent I mean just that no matter what your politics is the fact that we are now about to have or like the US is about to have their first female black South Asian vice president is incredible. I mean, it's inspiring and mind blowing. And especially after the last four years, it's incredible that it's, it's happened. And as well as that, I think despite the fact that in the US and in the UK at times, it feels like, you know, everyone's more divided than ever. There's also a huge sense of empathy and understanding 
that's uh, kind of come forward, I think, a lot more, where people are tackling their own biases within themselves. They're having these conversations about accessibility and diversity. You know, you're looking to improve yourself. You're looking to improve your workplace in a way that I don't think I've seen before, which I think is really great. And I think with all of this, the fact that all of this has finally happened and all of these movements are starting to gain momentum and uh, what we're doing at OPE, I think the other, going back to the question that you asked before, one piece of advice I'd give someone trying to do the same thing within their department is to just be patient because it's going to take a lot of time. There are going to be people who don't want to really interact much with DNI right now. And that could be for many reasons. It could be because they don't think it's for them or, you know, they think they're a part of a group that can't really speak and shouldn't get too involved and let other people kind of take the reins. Um, it could be because it's a lot to take on within your own self. You're challenging yourself and you're challenging the people around you. And that's hard. But if you continue to be patient, if you keep working at it, if you show that, you know, there could be really great results if you keep working at it for a while, um, things will happen. It's just, you know, staying patient and continuing to work at it. Our objective was never to make some kind of political statement. It was It was always about making sure that everyone who works at OP feels welcome. They feel like they belong here and that they are in a safe space. And I, I just don't think that that's political at all. Excellent. I think that was a really nice point, I think, to make about the fact that it is just about people at the end of the day. It's not about all of the other things that kind of happen around it, although those things exhaust situations. But fundamentally, we just have to find the human aspect of it and, and that's all that we can do. I guess just finishing off in the context of all of these things that we've discussed, of all of these events that have happened around the world, what sort of things can we take away from these situations going forward, not only in our team culture, but in the way we design for our students? Right now, one of the most important things we can do as a committee and as an office is to understand that we're not experts and that we need to do all we can to keep listening and learning and adapting. So the, you know, the DNI committee itself, with all the work that we want to do within this next year, we still only really represent kind of one bit of the population. The committee itself isn't that diverse yet. So just understanding that it takes different people varying amounts of time to engage and to know that it's an initiative for everyone. And as Toral said, one of the most important things that we can continue to do is to provide a safe space, a voice to those who need someone to speak up for them and continue researching and learning and sharing knowledge? Honestly, just more. I think there's so much that's still left on our agenda because we've only just started. So I would like to go really radical and I'd want, you know, a DNI representative or some kind of DNI representation in all aspects of our work and all aspects of our product. And it's it's going to be a slow process. We've already seen a lot of interaction in the DNI Slack channel, as Gayatri mentioned, about you know team members, colleagues, everyone coming together and asking questions that they'd never asked before or never had a space to ask before, even if they thought about it privately and related to work and related to life, etc. And I think that there's more to be done there. I think that we've already made such an amazing change. Who knows where we can go from here? Excellent. And Sammy seconds that in the background. <laughs> Could you hear him? Yeah. He was like, I'm with you, Bob. I get it. <laughs> I'm there for it. Awesome. Okay, dokie. Um, 
I think we should end it there on a positive and on a high that we've we've done amazing things and amazing things are coming. So thank you so much for both of you. To, uh, thank you so much to both of you rather for giving up your time and sharing all of your knowledge with me today. Thank you thank for you. giving us a space to do so. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. You've been listening to Putting Kings Online. Subscribe, rate and share us wherever you get your podcasts. Putting Kings Online is hosted, produced and edited by me, Rachel Wall, and is a production brought to you by the online and professional executive education team here at King's College London.